You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Dwayne Smith is the former CEO and current executive chairman of True North Companies, an insurance and financial services firm known for blazing trails as it reinvented itself and reinvested in itself from a brand and operating standpoint. I talked to Dwayne about his entrepreneurial roots and how those instincts drive his interest in finding new ways to structure a business. Dwayne shares his approach to hitting that ceiling of complexity and knowing when it's time to take private equity calls or when it's time to look inward as a means of growing outward. I also asked Dwayne about the why and how of taking a company apart just to put it back together again, what Dwayne calls tuition payments, which is what others might call mistakes in business, and the importance of finding something you're passionate about outside of your main business. In his case, that passion is classic cars. I learned a lot and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Well, Dwayne, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. I've always... um admired what what you and the team there at True North have been able to build um, up over obviously decades of work and not only not only that but also just what True North has, has meant to the, the Cedar Rapids community and the and the corridor community. Um, I want to get back a little bit you know now you're the executive chairman and the company's transition on and, and your son Jason is is uh, is at the helm as CEO but I want to I want to go back you know to, to learn a little bit more about you know the the uh, the origin story of of not only True North, but but your sort of career and how you got into insurance and entrepreneurship from the beginning. Um, I know you're a UNI grad. Well, while you were there at school up in Cedar Falls, was a career in business always always in the cards, or did you know specifically that lead you down down the insurance path, or where where did you get your first uh, inkling that um, a business career was on the horizon? You know, I think I was lucky at a at a young age. I grew up in a small Northeast Iowa town, Lamont, town of 500 people. It was almost like Mayberry growing up. One grandfather owned the hardware store. Another grandfather owned the uh, plumbing and heating business. I had my first paper out at 10, uh, was always working at a lawn mowing business at 12, um, grew up in an entrepreneurial um, family. Um, so, um, always wanted to be a business owner after I uh, graduated from you and I actually went back to my hometown and only in small town, Iowa, the, the banker had passed away. My dad had a heart attack back in the seventies. They sent him home, said you couldn't do manual labor, um, at the plumbing and heating business any longer. The banker said, you know, everybody in town, Jim, Jim Smith, uh, why don't you take over the bank? So he went from being the, the plumber the banker <laughs> and he ended good up move. that's smart it actually worked out very well and he he was entrepreneurial he he bought a small insurance agency out of the barber shop so believe it or not that's how i got my start in the insurance business that's awesome and you know we, we talk a lot about that word you know entrepreneur entrepreneurialism and being an entrepreneur and i think you hit on it there in a wide variety of factors right there's banking there's plumbing there's hvac i mean there's 
there's qualities and characteristics of entrepreneurship there that are sprinkled throughout any sort of industry or business. When you hear that word entrepreneurialism or, or being an entrepreneur, what does that mean to you? What are, what are some of the, the main characteristics of a successful entrepreneur? You know, that's a, a good question, Nate. And um, part of my journey, quite frankly, has been that discovery. And a little bit of history on True North. We established True North in 2001. And we spent a fair amount of time establishing our purpose and our why. And the industry had been incredibly good to us. There were six of us that uh, started the company in 2001. We merged three companies together. And we put together our vision statement, which was to build a legacy company with an entrepreneurial platform to attract, develop, and coordinate high-performing talent. And that's really been our guiding light, our true north, so to speak, over the last 20 years. Sure. But one of the things that one of the tuition payments, I, I have a different term for mistakes in, in business. Um, I use the term tuition payments. <laughs> we've all we've all paid those for sure. And, yeah, we have. And you know, you go to school, you go to college, you um, take a seminar, you, you write a check. Well, if you look at mistakes at, in the same light, uh, it's just a lot easier to embrace those payments. And as long as you learn from them. So back to your question about entre entrepreneurialism, um, that was part of our initial focus. How do we maintain an entrepreneurial focus? And one of the tuition payments that we made, we grew from 90 million of sales to 250 million of sales from 2001 to 2008. We erroneously thought that everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur and we handed out our business card. We handed out our checkbook and said, okay, now go do what we did. And you know, what we found out is that a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur, but not unlike a playbook on your um, sports team or any kind of endeavor without some degree of process and operational structure. Um, a lot of people just uh, cannot operate at an entrepreneurial level. So in 2008, we stepped back quite frankly, tore the company apart, put it back together again and developed what we call a structured entrepreneurial platform and that was predicated upon um, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Right. And we looked at companies that had been successful, General Motors, Kmart, Sears. A lot of companies, when I was growing up, were at the top of their game. But 30 years later, they're in bankruptcy. Right. But if, if we wanted to maintain this entrepreneurial focus and structure, yet have an enterprise that can withstand the test of time, mm -hmm. how are we going to do it? And <clears throat> we took about three months. I wish I could say we, you know, we, we bought the, the secret sauce from a consultant, but we, we built our own model, which we call structural um, entrepreneurialism. Yep. And it's predicated upon four critical indicators. The first is, the finance and profit element, which most companies have a PL and a budget. But the other three are client experience, people, and growth. And we've we've figured out a model not only to define, measure, and manage the profit element, 
but we also define, measure, and manage the other three. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the organization understands that all four of these have to be in balance. Right. So profit, you know, in a lot of cases, profit can be too low. Or in some cases, profit can be too high at the expense of your client, at the expense right. of people. Growth can be too high. Um, it can, can get out of control operationally and client experience and people. Or it can be, be too low and you're not innovating. So, you know, a long-winded comment about um, entrepreneurialism. Uh, we embrace it. Um, it's our part of our daily life. But we've realized that entrepreneurialism um, doesn't mean um, that there, aren't, there is not structure and process. And actually, the right amount of structure and process is beneficial to everyone. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you know, one of the big things that jumps out to me with, the, with that lesson and, and just your career and true Norse trajectory is this idea of, and you, you mentioned the, uh, you know, your purpose and your why is, you know, building that legacy company and that concept of legacy. I feel like oftentimes in today's day and age runs contrary to kind of entrepreneurialism and startup business. We hear of all these stories of this guy started this business and sold it to private equity after three years and did this and that. I think, you know, having that be the core of your mission of building a company that's going to stand the test of time. Can you talk about like what, what shaped that mentality for you, for you and your business partners over time? I mean, that, that is a little bit different than a lot of folks have. They just want to build something and sell it off. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's also a good question because we probably get two or three calls a month uh, from private equity wanting to write us a check. But um as long as you keep your growth and profitability in check, quite frankly, there's no better investment at growing your own company internally. Our growth focus and goal is 15% year over year. Our profit goal is 25% year over year. We have a way to also measure um, our culture and our client experience. And if you show that in a spreadsheet, the rule of 72, if you grow at 15%, you double the size of your company and your profit every five years. So you can take a check, but what are you going to do with that money? And what better investment can you make than reinvesting it in your own company? So we've proven financially that an internal perpetuation model Uh, which goes a long way in attracting high-performing talent, other people that want to be entrepreneurs and owners of their own opportunity. We've gone from six to 60 owners in our platform. And it's a big reason that we're able to attract high performers. Yeah, that's awesome. And talk a little bit more about that sort of alignment. I mean, that's really something that is unique. And I I feel like is perhaps gaining a little bit more traction out in the business world, this idea of, you know, have to own it it all yourself and, you know, this more kind of equity ownership and ownership grants and, you know, ESOPs and these sort of concepts that are, that are floating around and uh, perhaps being a little bit more prevalent. How did you guys land on that as a model to, to grow the business? You mentioned six to 60 different owners. Can you speak a bit more about that, that model? I I can. And, you know, we, we had an initial partnership before we formed True North, where in some cases we had people that were towards the end of their career that really weren't in, interested in reinvesting in the company. So my, my finance and banking background 
I said, well, you know, I don't want to argue um, that at your stage in your career, it's maybe best <clears throat> to maximize profits and not reinvest. But at my stage in, in my career, um, it's best to reinvest versus take profits. So that's when we came up with these, this LLC model where True North is really the shared service company that provides all of the shared services such as marketing, finance, IT, legal, accounting. Um, and we're now up to 60 separate LLCs within our, our model that allows a certain amount of autonomy and innovation with the different practice leaders, but still maintaining the True North brand, which has really proven to, to work well. And our, our focus is to have a self-managed environment, but still have fence posts, if you will, from a brand and operating standpoint. Yeah, and it's, and it's remarkable, obviously, what you guys have, have grown over time. As you look back at the True North trajectory, I guess, over the last uh, two decades, primarily, as you guys have really, really grown and, and fine-tuned the model that you've been speaking about, was there, a, was there a big break? Was there, you know, one big client that you guys took down a, a big sale or a lesson learned or a key hire, if you could look back at it, was there, you know, was there something that happened there that really propelled True North onto what they are today? You know, I, I would say one of the, one of the things that I wish I would have understood 25 years ago is that every growing entrepreneurial business goes through um, ceilings of complexities. So, you know, when I first started out back to the barbershop insurance agency, basically we had two employees. I moved to Cedar Rapids. I think we had six or eight employees. Um, my high school football coach and I built our company before True North to about 50 people. But we reached a ceiling of complexity that we either needed to sell or figure out how to get bigger. That's when we formed True North. Uh, went to 100 employees, added a COO, added a CFO that we were able to scale. I thought, okay, now this could take us now to maybe a billion in sales. We hit another ceiling of complexity at 250 million. We had another ceiling at 50, at 500 million. We had another ceiling when we did the transition of, of leadership. So I think the, the one thing that I would uh, point out is that as you grow, that's just a natural progression. But to be honest with you, Nate, when I hit those ceilings of complexity and kind of looked up at the wall, you know, I just, I had to take a deep breath every time. And um, I was um, confused um, or created some degree of anxiety sure. as what was next. Yeah, that's a good... That's a good point. I mean, that that constant, the ceiling of complexity to me, sort of, and your approach to that of not like a lot, it feels to me like most people would hit that ceiling of complexity, and be like, okay, this is it. Like I hit 250, 500. This is really hard now. There's a new set of problems I need to solve for. Now's the time for let's let's field some of these calls from private equity. Now, you know, who's gonna who's gonna buy me out? I don't know if I'll have the gusto. Like, what was it in your DNA or ingrained in the in the company that just that took each of those ceilings of complexity and just I mean kind of just charged right through them, right? I mean, I guess that's sort of part of keeping the company going and building it as a legacy company. But what was it that, that gave you the, 
the motivation to keep keep charging forward, even as you guys were were successful and hit, hit some of these new ceilings? Yeah, another good question. And I would say, you know, what's the adage? The best day to plant a tree is today. Well, the best day to really understand what your perpetuation strategy is, if you don't already have it firmed up, is today. Mm-hmm. So if it wouldn't have been for 2001 and making the commitment to perpetuate internally, it would have been a lot easier in 2008 just to take that check that you're talking about. Right. But because we made that commitment, um, you know, I got the younger group around the table and said, what do you want to do? We made this promise. Are we going to keep it? They also all said, yes, it wasn't easy. Actually, we went at that point, we were at 220 people. Um, We went from 220 to 133 on the same amount of revenue during that period. Now we're back up to 500 people. Uh, it would have been, quite frankly, a lot easier just to take that check. But because we made that commitment, mm-hmm. it really wasn't an option. Yeah, that's great. And you, another thing I've admired about True North is just your guys' role within the community. You guys are great corporate philanthropists. Um, talk a bit about, you know, you guys made the decision to you know, put your headquarters in downtown Cedar Rapids. Talk a bit about that um, element of, of the company, of your philosophy about community speak speak to that a little bit because I, I know that's important to you yeah and and again i don't want to overstate the our vision statement but to attract high performing talent that's a big part of it um, how do you attract high performers to to your community um, and a vibrant community is a big part of that in addition our our mission statement is to assist our companies and people to protect and maximize their assets resources and opportunities so the more we can grow our communities the more opportunities we have from a business standpoint to help other organizations so we we truly look at that as an investment not an expense in our community as you look out on the horizon um, in the insurance industry specifically over the course of the next 10 or 15 years, what are you most interested to see play out? Where, where, do, where do you see the, the biggest improvements, the biggest challenges? What, um, what will you be paying close attention to? Yeah, I think the biggest improvements um, is really providing value to our clients. So er, early on, I think a lot of insurance uh, firms uh, were really a conduit uh, for a product and an insurance policy. Uh, You can get that now over the internet and potentially if that's all you want or need, um, that's a more efficient, lower cost option. So our focus is really where we can provide value to our clients and uh, beyond just the contract. And I think, uh, you know, the, the ratio that we had August 10th Uh, was a good measurement of that. We had several thousand claims. Within 72 hours, our leadership team uh, made it a point to contact every one of our clients um, to see how they're doing, what we could do to help. Um, So I think the the continued focus on adding value beyond the insurance contract is what we'll continue to focus on. How about the role of technology in the insurance industry? I mean, we've, you know, there's disruptors everywhere, right? In every industry, you've got 
you know, I don't follow it too closely, but you've got the, the lemonades and you mentioned it just sort of the commoditized version of hit a couple buttons now, and you've got the, the insurance and all this stuff. That's the ability for those things to happen. Um, and I guess you, I mean, you spoke to that just now, just about bringing value and that kind of human connection, but how have you guys used technology to enable what you're doing? How do you see that, uh, being more prevalent coming yeah, out of the pipeline? That's a challenge in most businesses and definitely a challenge in ours, because I think, you know, what we found is, uh, there's a wide, um, variance in the level of, of technology that, that the client wants. Now, my 84-year-old mother <clears throat> wants to talk to somebody about her vehicle change. Um, my 23-year-old daughter um, would rather just go online, make the vehicle change, print out her auto um, ID certificate, and uh, be able to do that at 5 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. So we've had to develop uh, multiple options for clients. And I think maintaining that flexibility is important going forward. And I know it's probably been really rewarding for you to watch your son, Jason, you know, take over as CEO and, and you transitioning into the, into the role of, of chairman. Talk a bit about your relationship with, with Jason, how he got into the company, you know, what kind of parameters did you have to put in place and, you know, getting, when you guys started off doing that, has it, has it always been, been rosy the whole time? I know it's hard for, and some family businesses where family members work together to kind of separate the family stuff with the business side of it. Can you speak a bit about that or any advice that, that you'd have to any listeners around, um, you know, working with family members or, uh, you know, sons or daughters that, that may be looking to, to, to become part of a company? Yes, definitely. And, you know, for any of you that are, are um, thinking about a transition, whether it's uh, a family member or just general transition of a leadership position, um, please call me because uh, back to the tuition payments, um, <laughs> I've made a few and, and a little bit of history. So uh, Jason's one of the few people that I think at 18 or 16 to 18 decided he was going to go into the insurance business. Uh, a lot of people, it's kind of an afterthought. Sure. Um, but he, he loves cars probably even more than I do. So when he turned 14, he was my chauffeur in the summers and did that for a couple of different summers. <laughs> and he'd come into the boardroom and meet with uh, the clients in the corner uh, when I'd uh, have business meetings. And he decided at a young age that he um, believed in what we were doing, the, the value that we were bringing to our clients and that he wanted to be a part of the business. So he's now, um, I believe, 43, 44. Uh, but he's been in the business for uh, almost 25 years. So long story short, he made that his career. Um, the transition has gone well. But to be honest, um, I thought it would be a cakewalk. And we grew up together. We have a lot of the same values. But yet we're different and he's more of a follow through. I'm more of a quick start. Mm -hmm. And five years ago, when I was getting ready to, to look at my transition and by the way, one of the best decisions that we made back in, in 2001 is that ownership and leadership transitions at 62. And when I was 43 in 2001, I thought that was forever, but uh, trust me, uh, time flies by. 
So when I approached him five years ago about taking over as CEO, I said, you get to make that decision. He was heading up our transportation department had done a great job. Um, he took a month or two and said, you know what? I believe in what we're doing. I want to lead the company going forward. So the first decision that we made was actually a good one. He's very talented at sales and growth. Mm -hmm. He had grown the transportation division. A third of the people in the company knew him, but two thirds of the people really didn't work directly with him. So I said, you know, once you uh, be in charge of growth for the whole company, did that for the first year. After that, he, he joined the executive team. We made him president then a year or two later. Um, then when he started taking over some of the operational um, leadership, that's where we probably made our biggest mistake because about six months into that, our leadership team came to us and said, are we following you, Dwayne, or are we following you, Jason? Right. And we created a fair amount of noise and confusion for um, our leadership team. So one of the tuition payments um, that we um, learned is to be much more direct in your transition and in your leadership um, reporting. And then finally, the other thing that I would point out, um, Nate, you've, you've had a, a, a great football career. You've worked under a lot of different coaches. When a new coach comes in, what happens? They normally end up bringing their own assistant coaches over time. They maybe keep two. Right. And over time, that's happening at True North. Um, our CFO is still the same CFO, um, but Jason over time is going to be building his own leadership team, his own assistant coaches. Luckily, what we've been able to do, another quote that, that um, I've embraced over time, an entrepreneur that's not kept busy will create chaos. <laughs> Some truth in that. I've seen that. I, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I'm very guilty of it. So, you know, when I'm getting ready to transition and another term that everybody asked me a year ago, what am I going to do in retirement? I said, well, first of all, the term retirement just really doesn't fit. What I think is probably more appropriate for me is I'm graduating as the CEO um, to executive chairman. Yep. And, you know, when you look at that term graduating at 62, um, what that has meant and how to keep um, me from creating chaos, we've actually started a whole new division at True North called First Main. Mm -hmm. We identified that there was a lot of perpetuation issues in county seat towns throughout Iowa and the Midwest in our industry. So I've taken a number of my old band, my old leadership team, um, and we formed a separate division called First Main Street. We've done, I believe, 20 acquisitions in the last two years in this First Main model where we leave the brand alone. Yep. Um, more of a community focus. Mm -hmm. We'll probably do another 10 to 12 acquisitions um, this year. And I'm able to stay in the vision uh, box, if you will, and still um, maintain some connectivity to True North. I, I know you've been someone that's uh, 
you know, you've invested in companies outside of True North, um, you know, multiple companies. And, you know, with, with that as an investor, something that I, that I do a little bit as well, you know, you're, you're, you're writing checks and then hopefully you're getting checks back in. Is there been any sort of commonality or a structure or way that, you know, something that's jumped out to you about what, what's made the ones that have been really successful, you're getting the money back from rather than continuing to write the checks? Is there, is there any sort of, uh, you know, philosophy or structure to that? You know, Nate, um, um, I have been accused of being a somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. So back to 2008, um, I had invested in probably at least a dozen different companies. And half of those companies were coming every month and giving me a check. The other half were coming back every month and requiring a check. And I took a deep breath and I said, you know, what are the characteristics of these successful companies versus these companies that every month there just seems to be a problem. And I came up with five key elements that are required to have a successful company. And the five are vision, lead, build, manage, and do. And if you have all five of those characteristics I've found, and we actually do an assessment on our different practices within True North to make sure we have the right team members. Mm -hmm. My strength is in vision and lead. And what I love about that is I can actually um, perform most of those functions, whether it's in Mexico or Scottsdale or San Diego. Right, yeah. The build out segment, however, as I identified uh, the successful companies and the companies that were not successful, the build out and scalability, the architecture of the process that you can then hand off to the manager. The manager then can hand it off to the doer. You know, much like the, the construction example, the architect builds a very detailed blueprint. The architect then hands that off to the general contractor. Mm -hmm. The general contractor then hands that off to the subcontractors and you have a successful outcome. I found myself, however, skipping the build out of the detailed blueprint so there wasn't anything definitive to hand off to the manager and or the doers. Yeah. Once backed up, slowed down, found the right skill set of the builder, then everything magically fell into place. Yeah, that's a great, great analogy and a great way to look at it. Absolutely. I know one of your big passions is the, is the, is the car world and, you know, you own uh, Duffy's cars there and, uh, in, in Cedar Rapids and stay involved in that. Has that always been a hobby for you and the family or talk a bit about how you got involved with, uh, with cars? Yeah, it, it's always been somewhat of a passion. And again, I think a couple things for other entrepreneurs and or business owners, uh, back to the perpetuation strategy and, and um, ownership leadership starting to at least transition at 62. That forced me to come up with other outside interest. And one of the things I've been blessed with over the years and working with a lot of different business clients is I've, I've been able to see a lot of different styles. And a lot of business owners get so entrenched in, in their business, that becomes their real only their only passion. Sure. So I realized you know, five, six, 10 years ago that um, at 62, um, I needed something other than just true north. So what I've identified as an entrepreneur, if you can find other areas that you're as, as passionate at, 
um, as your business, then you can pull away from the business. Mm -hmm. So to your question about cars, I've always been passionate about cars. Early on, I didn't really have the money uh, to buy the cars I wanted. Later in life, um, as I had some degree of success, started buying a few, ran out of room in my garage, approached uh, the owners of Duffy's about buying the building. Um, Duffy and his uh, son, Kurt, said, well, why don't you just buy the whole business? So that's been a passion. I'm actually in Arizona right now at the Barrett Jackson auctions. Yeah, those things are fun. Those are those. That's the one on on the they, they followed on the TV show, right? And they have the that's that's the big one, right? The big daddy. Yep, it's the big one. Did you land any any uh, any dream cars down there this year? Or anything special? We've sold five so far. We bought two, um, kind of eclectic, a '61 um, Continental convertible and a 1972 Alfa Romeo have been our two purchases so far. Nice. But, you know, back to that passion, the other thing I'm passionate about, my wife and I enjoy traveling. Naturally, that's been curtailed a little bit over the last year, but we're looking forward to picking that back up again. And then I enjoy um, helping other people. So I'm working with probably a dozen different businesses. My unique ability statement um, is to provide vision and instill confidence in others to succeed. So when I'm able to do that, whether it's with a nonprofit, another business owner, that gets me up before the alarm clock. Yeah, that's great. Well, we could go on and on about uh, these philosophies and, and your business background, Dwayne, but we uh, got to wrap up here. And when we do that, we like to just kind of hammer out some rapid fire questions to finish each interview. Um, how much of your success would you contribute to luck versus hard work? Oh, you know what? There's some element of luck, but... I think hard work actually brings luck. So I'd say hard work is uh, 90%, 10% on the luck side. Given the chance, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? If you were to go back to the Dwayne Smith when he was, uh, you know, just graduating there from you and I and the true, the insurance path and was, wasn't available to you, what would you have, if you were to do it all over again, what would you have done? You know, I, I'm actually very fortunate, Nate, because I, I don't think I would trade places other than, you know, I might have been a field goal kicker. <laughs> you don't want that. That's, that makes for some sleepless Saturday nights before the Sunday games, trust me. <laughs> How about a business leader? Has there been one particular business leader um, that you've either tried to model your philosophy and approach to or someone that you've really looked up to along, the, along your path? Yeah, you know, um, one plug I would make, I've, I've worked with Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan is an entrepreneurial coach, um, has a company called Strategic Coach, and he works with um, hundreds of entrepreneurs over the years in helping them um, develop and scale their businesses. Um, his book, Unique Ability, is where I got my unique ability statement. He has a lot of different systems and processes in place that really have helped me focus on scaling the business that we built. How about a podcast TV show? You got a little bit more time these days to dive into some of this stuff, but is there a TV show you're watching or podcast you listen to regularly? You know, you know, one TV show that's pretty entertaining if you haven't watched it. Have you watched Ted Lasso? Oh yeah. I just finished that with our family. It's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just, it has a lot of life lessons. There's uh, an entertainment value. So I'm looking forward to next season. Yeah. 
You're right. That, that's a fun one. The gold, the goldfish mentality, right? I like that. You gotta, you gotta just forget about things. Um, how about a motivational quote? You know, I'm not sure where this came from, quite frankly, whether I made it up, but um, lead to a number or lead to an event. So sometimes I think, you know, leadership I define as the ability to communicate the vision and instill mm -hmm. confidence in others to follow and or succeed. And sometimes it gets to be hard to, to package that communication. But if you package it in a way that if there's a number or there's an event and you can tell the story, people will then remember it. Yeah, I love that. That's great. 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with it? Wow. Um, you know, I think I'd continue working with other entrepreneurs uh, to help them with their ceilings of complexity. Great. And then uh, how about an influential business book? Is there one that maybe a more recent one that you've, that you've read that would be a good recommendation? You know, not more recent, but I think back to my comment about Good to Great and Jim Collins, that really uh, gave us the foundation of building our future company, the structured entrepreneurial uh, focus that we have at True North. Awesome. And then our final question that we wrap up with um, each interview is in one sentence, how do you define success? Uh, I would define success as the ability um, to make the handoff. That's awesome. Yeah. And that goes back to what I admire the most about what you guys have done there at True North is just the, the ability to build a, a legacy company and, and keep, keep making those handoffs, right. As, as things go forward. So exactly. thanks a lot, Dwayne. I appreciate, appreciate everything. This is an awesome conversation and um, look forward to catching up when you, when you get back up here to, to, uh, to Iowa, once it's green, right? <laughs> Welcome Nate. And I appreciate uh, your entrepreneurial spirit and all you're doing for the community as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Yep. This episode was produced by Joe Coffee of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.